You're listening to Sidious Playground, a Leadership Foundation podcast, and I'm Rick Enlow right here with Dave Hillis. And uh, this podcast is going to focus on the urbanization of the world, as if that were actually happening. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I think, uh, you know, obviously, even in our lifetime, it's been amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a stunning development. Um, So much so, Rick, that I I think um, we we aren't aware of it. it. it takes place and you know we see all of these things on the media and TV and and all of it pivots around this idea that the world is becoming more and more urban more of us live in cities today than ever before and ultimately this is where we are going to find ourselves for you know the foreseeable future um, so what to do about that reality um, mm-hmm. and does the gospel uh, do we people of good faith and goodwill um, need to be mindful of that in order to be more effective in this world today. And so uh, to talk about this in practical, sensible, um, thoughtful ways, I think is very important for us here with Leadership Foundations and this podcast. And of course, who better to do that than Dr. Ray Bakke? Right. I mean, I think especially for um, someone like myself, okay, I, I might not be the, you know, the norm, but I was kind of taught that, you know, the reason we have uh, urbanization, people, you know, fleeing to the cities is because, um, uh, you know, we, we need to band together as humans so that we can defy God or something, you know, I mean, it was like this strange theory that, Mm -hmm. you know, and it definitely wasn't the the city as a playground, but the city as some kind of a, you know, like a, a fortress of denial or something. And so that's what I appreciate about what we're talking about is that we're not, you know, when we listen not only to, you know, what you're talking about, but especially Dr. Baki, this isn't, you know, uh, somebody who has no association with the city, right? Yeah, I mean, two things. One is that your, your, your reflection, Rick, is, is right. I mean, and it even goes back, I mean, if you can imagine this, to, you know, the, the sort of classic by Augustine called City of God. Um, it's, a, it's a tomb of a book, and it's a book that he wrote, interestingly enough, as Rome, um, you know, the, the empire, um, the, the eternal city um, that was going to last forever was actually in ruins and was trying to reflect on what, what took place, what happened, mm-hmm. and where is the hand of God. And Augustine surfaces in that book um, the idea of a city of man, you know, a city of humankind and a city of God. The city of humankind is, you know, a bit of a vapor and won't last long. The city of God, of course, will last forever, and it's a... Uh, it's considered a, a must-read for anybody that does um, urban work. The problem, in part, is that it posts, uh, I think, an argument that um, it can be a little bit dualistic mm-hmm. um, and, and almost on the edge of being a bit Gnostic. Um, and so since that time, that, that idea, I think, is implanted in people's minds of saying, well, yeah, city, as long as God's the mayor, but if, if God isn't the mayor, then we really shouldn't have anything to do with cities here on earth. Right. And you can watch a history and a trajectory that, interestingly enough, has a very sad um, sort of footnote to it, and that has been um, people not caring about the city, running away from the city, or if they are in the city, they are only there for utilitarian reasons. And so part of our argument in Leadership Foundations is to turn that around and say, might there actually be um, a design, a providential design, uh, a divine design 
to the city and that as opposed to it being something we have to put up with or it's there because God fell asleep at the wheel, um, that it's actually uh, a place that can flourish, that can help, that can uh, be something that's an instrument that uses, uh, is used uh, to help people moving forward. And of course, our argument is yes, as long as you see it as a playground. Right, right. And I think uh, Dr. Baki's work and his words uh, really help us to to see that and then to to have a, a sense in which it's not only uh, God at work as a city, but that we begin to see even in scripture um, that the pictures of the city are, are uh, pictures that are inviting, you know, not avoiding pictures. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, and Ray, um, I mean, again, we will find as we, you know, get a chance to sit with him and listen to him. He's a, he's a living, breathing urban encyclopedia. Um, and it's, it's really a remarkable, um, tour de force. But, but the principal argument that Ray makes in the midst of all of the, you know, quotations and facts and, you know, citations from history is that the city uh, is actually a redemptive tool in the hand of God who loves cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he'll say this, I'm sure, in our podcast, that while we all know that the Bible begins in a garden, it decidedly uh, ends in a city. And right. ultimately our future the future that God chooses for all of us for eternity is a urban future. And mm-hmm. as a result of that and so many other things in the scripture, um, we should then have a positive view of a city, i.e. see a city as a playground. Right, right. And we're in the, we're in the middle of the city right here as we uh, uh, mm-hmm. lay down this podcast. But we took a field trip in that very sporty Prius uh, where we were saving <laughs> uh, all kinds of uh, fossil fuels and we made our way uh, several hours out of the city uh, to talk to Dr. Baki up uh, in his amazing um, library. Yeah so again a bit of the background to uh, people who don't know Ray is that Ray is is, you know I mean his first book was The Urban Christian but uh, little do we know that in fact he and his family uh, were homesteaders up in the uh, thriving metropolis of Acme, Washington uh, if you blink, you uh, you will miss the town. Yeah. And so Ray and his wife Corinne, who is a concert uh, pianist, um, ha- when they left uh, Chicago here, probably about 12, 13 years ago, after a 40-year uh, ministry career in Chicago, uh, now live in these this uh, you know very nice you know cabin, but a cabin nonetheless up in the hills of Acme. Mm-hmm. Um, where they have built a place uh, to service both uh, Corinne's musical um, kind of avocation as well as Ray's literary. And uh, you're, you're exactly right, Ray, or uh, uh, talking about Ray, as you walk into his library um, and anybody that likes books um, yeah. thinks that they have died and, and gone to heaven. Uh, so. Rick, you and I had a chance to walk up and down the aisles, and it actually had one of those ladders right, yeah. that you could kind of scoot oh, up Oh, man, and down. I felt like we had a backstage pass to his brain, you know, because <laughs> those books were not a collection uh, of books, but, but an actual, you know, uh, those were working documents. You could see that, they, that he had uh, not only organized them, but, but he, quoted, he could quote from just any book at any time. Really amazing. So, yeah, in fact, Ray, I've been in a lot of libraries, and uh, as, as we all know, right, many libraries are there for show, um, mm-hmm. and no 
no one has ever actually read the books. Uh, a Ray Bakke library. Um, you actually walk in and he's read these things. Um, yeah. And I've been up there with Ray enough times where I'll, you know, pull a kind of volume off the shelf and, and say something and he'll immediately begin to talk about, oh yes, that author and what they were writing about, yeah. what their central argument was. So yeah, it well, was, I, it was I just loved place. it. Uh, um, one of my themes personally, which uh, we'll just jump off the urbanization track for one second, but is functional art. I, I've always been a fan of functional art. What I mean by that is I love somebody who has a guitar, you know, hanging on the wall and, you know, it's a great piece of art, but then they take it down and they play it. Or somebody who has a big dish, you know, that they got somewhere and it's, uh, it, you know, it's beautiful, but then they take it down and, you know, let's make spaghetti. And, you know, I mean, it's like, it's not just art, but it, you know, it, it has an, a functional application. And I felt like that room was full of that. Like every painting, uh, every work of art was, you know, there was a story yeah. and, and it, and he could take it off the wall. And uh, so anyway, this was, it was a real treat and uh, we appreciate him uh, demonstrating that hospitality and inviting us uh, up to his place. Yeah, it, it was wonderful. And he gave us a couple hours uh, just mm. to sit and talk with him. And I, I think Rick, you like me, um, as well as our colleague, Carrie Fighter, um, you know, you come out of a time like that, just the richer for having spent time with a man who has thought deeply, reflectively, honestly, uh, prayerfully uh, yeah. about the city and what it means and what are the ramifications of it. And, you know, if we're going to live in this urban world, um, where's the hope? You know, uh, what, what would it mean to, to be that person uh, who could actually um, look at their life and say, I'm making a difference. Um, and, and Ray was wonderfully, wonderfully accessible for us. So we'll move to that, uh, that interview, that podcast, Wonderful. that conversation, and then we'll reflect on it uh, at the end. Great. Well, Ray, it's uh, absolutely great to uh, be sitting here with you and your uh, confines up here in Bakken. I think of how many times I've been here with you and uh, sat and listened about um, all that uh, God is doing in this world. And I do want to thank you for taking the time to mm. talk with us today about, I think, a very important subject, and that's mm. simply this sociological reality or the urbanization of mm. the world. Um, I have had a chance, of course, to hear you talk about this many times, but if you could just start and give us some of the broad trajectory of what has happened to this world um, over the last mm -hmm. number um, of years and, and what really we're living in today. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks, Dave. I'm really glad you came. And mm. I'm flooding, my mind is flooded with memories <laughs> back when we tracked uh, over the years. Absolutely. So uh, appreciate that. Um, right. Uh, well, there are... Um, how to, how, to, how to begin to put this simply. Maybe 1,800, about 2% of the world lived in cities. 1,900, about 8%. But uh, when we hit the world 2000 AD, roughly half the world, hmm. very close to half, are in cities. So that the, and to show you the speed of that, the urban population of the world today is larger than the entire population of the world when I was born. Hmm. So this is an amazing explosion of population. Cities are growing at something like 100,000 a day worldwide. Mm. And that's two things, really. One is the in-migration from rural, and the other is birth rates in many of these uh, overseas cities. And so the tracking of these cities um, is done annually by uh, people out in New England. But basically, there are 
about 505 cities now, of a million or more people. Mm, Amazing. Yeah. Uh, And when I was in Chicago, this stuff was hitting me in the face because I was pastor in a a major city where 60,000 people, all kinds of races, were in one community, my community. One of 77 Chicago neighborhoods. And as I began to study the the community uh, that I put my kids in, (laughs) I remember standing in 1978 outside their school building. I had just put my two oldest boys in the high school and had learned that 63 nations had kids Mm. in that one building. (laughs) Now, 63 nations is between a a fourth and a third of all the nations of the world. Hmm. We're in my parish. We're in my kid's school. Wow. And my first reaction is, does God know about this? You know? Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, it occurs to me that, yes, God knows. And I began to track, and I realized the cities were not the way the literature had described them. We've always thought of city as the rich, poor Mm-hmm. dynamic. We've always thought of them as um, winners and losers or power issues. Race or class always came as the primary concern, city versus suburb. What I was beginning to see was the city as the as the container of nations. Um, I began to look at major cities. And if I could take you to Flushing, New York, at the end of the seven train, you know, we could catch it downtown, go out past Shea Stadium and the tennis courts, the mm-hmm. Ash mm-hmm. tennis courts. We get to the end of the line. We come up with it, within a half a mile of that subway stop. Uh, the New York Times research showed 133 nations live within uh, half a mile of that Isn't stop. Isn't that something? Wow. That may be as pluralistic as any place on the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you go to London, you'll see the same thing. If you, I, I'd love to take you on a tour. East End is pretty much uh, Asian. South is black. West is Arab. 52 nations in the British Empire now. All 52 live in London. So I was, I was watching uh, all over South America. You, know, mm-hmm. you find a million Japanese living in Sao Paulo, Brazil. You can't get further apart on the planet than North Pacific, Japan, and South Atlantic, Brazil. Absolutely. How do a million Japanese find their way to one South American city? And as I began to track that, the Korean population of of Buenos Aires, um, watching the migrations of people in the world, I'm realizing I think God has an agenda. The God of mission has an agenda bringing nations to neighborhoods. We've had the Great Commission for 2,000 years. Go everywhere, preach the gospel to everybody, make disciples everywhere, but that's expensive. The biggest bargain in mission history is they're coming here at their own expense, Hmm. and we don't have to cross the ocean anymore. We can cross the street. Hmm. The nation's are within the shadows of the spires of churches in all of our cities. You know, so, Ray, it it does beg the question, and you've mentioned it a couple times, so I'd love to have you maybe drill down a bit more, because I think most people hear what you've just described and are just numbed, almost, Mm -hmm. like, what? 
has happened and is there anybody in control you um, on the other hand happen to look at this as a kind of design that god is very much in Mm -hmm. the middle of and in fact is uh, pushing forth Um, so say more about that how is it that you've been able to look at this what oftentimes feels chaotic and and see this sort of grand design from the hand of god with regard to the urbanization of the world yeah well i i see it in the context of history a move from the mediterranean world to the North Atlantic world, and now uh, the West Coast is no longer the back door of Europe, it's the front door of Asia. Hmm. The pendulum is now on Asia where uh, 65 or 70% of the world lives, Um, 40% in two countries, India and China. So as you start tracking Asianization of the planet and the urbanization of the planet, I think you begin to see uh, a design uh, it's not as chaotic, I think. I'm looking for an Asian Pentecost. Uh, hmm. The Chinese, we, we've had a mission focused on how to get the gospel into China for 2,000 years. And at four periods of time, there have been breakthroughs into China. Well, while we're watching that, my goodness, the Chinese outside China number over 140 million. They would be on the list of top 10 nations of the world, just the diaspora Chinese. And where are they? They're always in cities, and they're learning all those languages. And now they're hardwired back to, to China, a Pentecost in the making. Hmm. Um, Japan, same thing. Uh, Korea, same thing. Uh, these people have been scattered, and they're they're going to school, just like the exiles in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. You know, they were... They went from Babylon down to, or from Jerusalem down to Babylon. They invented a synagogue there. They didn't mm-hmm. need synagogues in Israel. They had temple. Mm-hmm. They, they invented a lay ministry. They needed it there. They didn't have priests. They brought it back to, to Palestine at the time of Pentecost. The, the Jews that were put in Alexandria, Egypt, invented the Greek Bible, a, a kind of simple urban street language, mm-hmm. common Greek Bible. That became the urban Bible for the church. So those gifts of the diaspora came back, touched by the Holy Spirit, went to the ends of the earth. Hmm. I think that's largely what we're seeing now. Internet is part of that. But mm-hmm. I think the wiring of the world is that by seeding every city with these nations, that the churches who get in touch with this uh, can impact everywhere the migrant streams go from mm-hmm. cities. So drill down deep in the city. Now, you can see this in the New Testament. Paul went to Ephesus. He rented a theater. He was there two two years. And uh, basically, Luke said, all Asia heard the gospel. doesn't mean everybody in Asia, but the gospel bounces. So cities are a woofer and tweeter of an amplifier system. Hmm. You penetrate the city, the gospel will travel. Hmm. And that's what I think we're doing. So it's almost, is there almost a sense in you then that, you know, I hesitate to say it quite this way, but that God, the economist, or that part of Mm -hmm. God that's the economist, now views cities as a way to bring about his kingdom in. Yes, well, we're moving toward the new Jerusalem. Mm. I mean, heaven is described as a city, remember? Mm -hmm. Like it or not, you have an urban future. (laughs) Um, 
But I think the the other thing I want to stress is the greatest migrations in human history are happening right now. Um, hmm. Just the fact that if you can imagine Canada, 34 million people in all of Canada, that's how many people will leave rural China for urban China this year and every year. Wow. If you can get your head around the idea and imagine every Chinese relocating every single year, that is the equivalent of the move to the cities inside China. The church, which has largely been rural, is going to have to be urban. There are huge adjustments from living in a little quiet hamlet in rural China to moving in a tower block in mm -hmm. Shenzhen or mm -hmm. Beijing. And so the challenges are huge mm -hmm. as well for every aspect of ministry. Yeah. And I think what the leadership foundations bring to this is that big picture hmm. of the capacity to see the bigger picture. That um, a city is a collection of silos to be sure. And what happens is they're so complex that people to survive turn off and turn inward, like the elevator syndrome. Yeah, absolutely. The tighter you get in a city, the less we communicate. So the genius of having a ministry whose goal is to think bigger about the city hmm. and to have the capacity to back away and look at the patterns yeah. and see those. Yeah, that's a great segue, Ray, to ask you the question for groups like Leadership Foundations, hmm. but this podcast obviously goes to pastors, it goes to ministry leaders. Hmm. Um, what would you say are some of the things that these leaders need to be conscious of yeah. as they do work mm -hmm. in the midst of this yeah. urban world that you're describing. Well, let me just real quickly run through some challenges. The, the challenge of pluralism is huge mm -hmm. because it does mean that pastors are ministering to people who are not like themselves. And the tendency will be to be very uncomfortable with that and to retreat to homogeneous units and mm -hmm. resegregate the church around the image and culture of the pastor. So. Mm -hmm. The opposite is what we have to have is pastors like me, Anglo, um, Eurocentric in preparation and everything, um, realizing that when you move into a city, you're a minority and you're going to have to bridge the communication gap. So that's huge. Hmm. And it becomes, as pluralism comes, e even more challenging. Mm -hmm. So that's one challenge. Mm -hmm. Another challenge is that the city is now ecumenical. It's not just Catholics, Protestants, Jews, but Sikhs, Muslims, the temple and the mosque mm -hmm. are in competition in the same community. Our children will be going to school with kids from the mosque. Mm -hmm. That is also a mm -hmm. huge challenge. And, and the other, the complexity of the city is the cities have just, especially in the United States, and this is true probably in Western Europe as well, uh, what's happened is they have they can't expand. The, and all the services are paid by tax base, property tax. So Seattle has 161 square miles, Chicago 228, um, LA 595, etc. Well, so what they're doing is they're rezoning. And when you go from an R2 to R8 residency, and you're putting people in high-rise. The high-rise is the ultimate gated community. <laughs> and yeah. you're turning the city into a cube, yeah. which implodes the 
the population, but it also drives out the poor. The poor eventually are going to be in the outskirts, in the pockets of no services in the counter, in the, in the uh, county's uh, most distant spaces without the services, without the transit. We could see it coming. Hmm. And it happened starting in the 90s when cities began to change, when the federal government decided to get out of poverty. Uh, and pass it down to the states, the states to the counties and cities, well, the only way they survive is to, in this situation, get rid of the poor, get rid of those who need the services. At the same time, attract the suburban newcomers, Mm -hmm. the young, back into the city, which they've all done. And this is producing a very new city in our time. Yeah, in fact, I haven't been at this for, you know, 30 plus years, um, and you being a mentor through it all. I remember early on uh, doing work in the city, the poor were downtown. Um, Mm -hmm. And now today, of course, it's just the opposite. Exactly. uh, How to stay on top of that is, yeah. yeah. I think think another challenge for uh, traditional ministers is the costs. The cost of being in a city. Mm. Yeah, same about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I think there we have to explore new models. I was looking at First Presbyterian Church in Seattle. I had an office there for several years, and they were sitting on sixty million dollars worth of property, probably, if they redevelop it as they were talking about doing. Well, one model is that property had been paid for long ago. They've had that property for over a hundred years, and uh, what I would consider having them do would be to get a second mortgage on the appreciated upmarket value of their land, not to use it as an ATM machine, but literally to create a, a foundation and start buying condos in the buildings surrounding them and move past, uh, maybe get seminarians on pay some of the rent mm-hmm. and put them in those buildings and, and decentralize the ministry and put it inside the gated communities of the city and use the central church as a hub and training center for basically, and a place where worship happens for the, mm-hmm. the large group, but do worship 24 hours a day, seven days a week different mm-hmm. worship styles, different languages, different yeah, kinds of right. liturgy, etc. And um, uh, because you're in such a valuable space, uh, you have to keep it recycled, just like McDonald's or any other yeah, right, major place. Right. You have to keep going. You know, one of the challenges I know you've talked about before that I think is is just to get your head around it, but the idea that in the past missions missions used to be geographically mm-hmm. right separated, um, but now to, it's culturally. Now it's culturally, and so that you can, as you said, you know, kind of the the uh, elevator syndrome, uh, be in a block, so everything is right there, but mm-hmm. in some ways be universes away because of the cultural separation. Oh yeah. Um, Say a bit about that, and how would a ministry church enter into that and well, be effective? We, we know that uh, 90% plus, the, we've done these quick and dirty surveys, I have, over the years, um, cities around the world. We know that over 90% of urban people become Christians through relationships, not mm. programs. So one of the things we have to help our congregation do is identify the four worlds in which they operate. A biological world of family, a geographical world of neighbor, 
somebody you can borrow sugar from or mm -hmm. watch a, a ball game with or mm -hmm. sh shovel the driveway with, you know, or somebody who cuts your hair, fixes, teaches your kid in school, delivers your mail or whatever. This is, these are the people I describe as your, your geographical neighbors. Then you have in an urban setting, when you ask people who they are, they don't tell you who they are. They tell you what they do. So mm -hmm. their primary identity is their vocation most of the time. So you have a vocational world of work, and then most of them have a recreational world of play, which might be um, sports, might be music, might be any number of things, or families mm -hmm. with a kid in a soccer program or something. Mm -hmm. So if you help them to identify the people of need in each of those four worlds, a congregation of 100 is in touch with 400 worlds. Mm. And in those, hundreds more relationships mm. that and if evangelism is defined as i do scratching people where they itch in mm -hmm. the name of jesus mm -hmm. you find the itch and then you scratch uh, so instead of thinking of a church as a come structure because busy people can't all come at the same time to hear me preach but if i can think of a ghost structure and send these people into their worlds to touch people where they are i've multiplied the church and the gospel uh, in, a, in an urban context. I think that's the salvation. I think that's what we have to do. Mm -hmm. um, now it's hard because security in the workplace makes it hard for the pastors to, to go there. But I say, pastor, you should visit every member of your church where they work. Mm. Take the time to get there and then say to them, you're our missionary in this building, in this classroom, in this factory. And um, how can we help you touch the people you work with. Pick one person, and let's make that the focus. And um, I think that's the more intensely populated the city is, the more personal we have to be. We've known that since Kitty Genovese was killed in New York. Um, famous story about the woman yeah, who right. was stabbed 20 minutes running back and forth across the street, talk, looking up to the crowd, at least 20 people watched her. Nobody even bothered to help or call the police. And after the shock hit the country, the Ford Foundation studied it, and they identified the concept of overload, that urban people tend to be bombarded by sounds, sights, and this traffic all day. So they're cocooning. They mm -hmm. literally are the elevator syndrome. They, the more you pack them in, the less they communicate. They mm -hmm. turn inward to protect their, their personal space. Mm -hmm. So when they come home, they, they lock themselves in their room at, at, at night. So incarnationally, which is the point of the gospel, I think Jesus' incarnation is not only a message, it's a model mm -hmm. of how we communicate. Mm -hmm. We have to find ways to get embedded with people yeah. in relational ways, yeah. and these are the four primary worlds. And uh, the other I think, thing I think we have to yeah. do, Dave, is, mm -hmm. is free up the specialists. You know, the, we have to say to the, to the people who are working in vocations, we have to recover the, the doctrine of calling and gifting for people in public sectors to move into them. Um, one of my favorite books in the Bible is Esther, which, you know, think about this. What was her plan to save the people? Uh, become the replacement wife of a pagan king. Run for Miss Persia and right. win. Right. Move into the harem. Get rubbed in oil for a year. That's cool. And then maybe be re 
maybe she would get appointed to be the wife for a time. Yeah. But she accessed power and changed the law. Yeah. And that very powerful phrase, wasn't it, for maybe for such a time as yeah. this? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And you can't be dogmatic about it. Exactly. But yeah. it's a theological reflection. Perhaps this is why you were chosen yeah. for such a time yeah. as this. Yeah, so we have to recover that um, idea of theological reflection in yeah. all of us, too. Um, maybe as we as we wind up, um, Ray, I, as you were talking, I'm very mindful of... Uh, this uh, current pope we have, yes. um, who it, it seems to me um, is able to look at a lot of what you've described and has adopted a model where he describes the church as kind of, um, you know, the hospital um, out there on the, on the mm-hmm. field where the wounded, the, the hurt uh, can come in and be cared for. And I've been really fascinated to watch this pope um, I think, look at this world that you've described so well and really seem to be able to engage uh, not just his church, but, you know, the uh, neighbor across the street mm-hmm. that might be the Anglican or the, you know, Muslim or whoever. Uh, maybe say a bit about Pope Francis and, yeah. and is this <laughs> a good model moving forward and, and might this be something that can help all of us as we move into the 21st century? Uh, well, if you look back to what he was doing in Argentina, he was living in a sparse apartment and riding the city bus to his office. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea of being with the people mm-hmm. and being of the people, mm-hmm. um, very relational, was um, re- was there all along. I, he also understands symbols. He really understands the symbol of the papacy. Mm. People all over the world are looking for identity and security. They really are. And he's offering an identity. The church has an identity. And he's the papa. He's the daddy. And mm-hmm. uh, that makes a great deal of, uh, of sense to people. I like his, um, his outgoingness and, and these riding in this simple little car. Mm-hmm. And he's doing everything that a St. Francis would want to do yeah, as a Jesuit. Yeah, I right. mean, he's, he's bringing the two, he's a one-man ecumenical movement in that <laughs> sense, even within the Catholic Church. Absolutely. He's combining some of the key strengths they've had in a way that no other pope has. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yes, everybody in the world is admiring him, yeah. and certainly I am. Um, and I think he is... Um, He's modeling to what I think a pastor has to do. You you can't be Lord above everything. I I understand that he's treating his staff and even young interns with all the dignity that powerful people get. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an important lesson too, I yeah, think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In fact, I heard someone talk about how he has inverted the idea that so often is, you know, what do you believe? And if you check the right box, then you can belong. Yeah. And Pope Francis comes in and says, no, you belong. And as you belong, we will teach you what to believe. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, mm-hmm. as you said, the incarnation. Well, ending up here, Ray, so we'll have our listeners and they'll be um, like I have been many mm-hmm. times with you, back on my heels, uh, my hair blown back mm-hmm. when I think about what is going on in this world and uh, 
you know, the urbanization mm -hmm. of it, the massive changes. Um, if you were to leave a word for our yeah. listeners um, about uh, their faith and what maybe could be an encouragement for them moving forward, mm -hmm. um, what would you say to yeah. them? I, I suppose if I could segue into that with yeah. this observation, since 9-11, white people feel vulnerable. A few people of color changed our world. The truth is that whites are 13% of God's earth. 87% is yellow, black, and brown. And America is starting to become a little more like that. Mm -hmm. Of course, in cities, it's very much like, like that. that yeah. But for most of the traditional Christian Protestants and Catholics, uh, they have been able to live with a country that has a moated, not just walled, moated safety mm. country. The thought that that is changing is unsettling. And I think the encouraging word has to come from the gospel. Hmm. Peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. Let not your heart be troubled. Uh, uh, I really think that we have to be good news people. We have to be people of hope and trust. Um, and we really have to practice our faith at this time when hate groups are multiplying. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to put a friendly face on Jesus Christ as the welcomer. Mm -hmm. And hospitality has to be something on the front, not the back door of the church mm -hmm. um, as a way to approach this. So mm -hmm. I would say we have the gifts for this, such a time as this, and we should use them. Mm. Well, Ray, thank you so much. Mm. Um, this conversation has been rich, and there is much, much to unpack. But uh, thank you for your gift uh, to the Leadership Foundations. I know all these years as well as to the world as a whole. So bless you. Well, thank you. Okay. All right.